Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. I wanted to start by sharing with you guys a bit of a confession. I've got two confessions I'm going to be sharing this morning. The first one is this. I have a really mixed record when it comes to teaching my kids life lessons, like especially in those teachable moments, it seems like more often than not, my life lessons go the wrong way as I'm trying to teach them. And so like two years ago, um, we were uh, on on a piece of property and, uh, that uh, my brother and sister-in-law own, and it's kind of like a farm. And my son, Cole, was swinging an axe at a log. And I said, dude, 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 you're going to kill yourself, man. And so I proceeded to give him the axe safety lesson. And in doing that, I whacked myself in the shin. Incredibly painful and embarrassing. Uh, and that's ended the axe safety lesson. He got the message that axes hurt, uh, but the, probably the, the real low point of uh, teachable moments and life lessons in the Kiefer house actually happened a really, really long time ago when my kids were really young. They were between like three and six years old, and um, we were actually living in our old house, and I was in the front yard, and I saw this tiny baby little frog, and it was literally probably less than an inch big, and I thought, oh my goodness, the kids would love to see this thing. And so I gathered it up and I brought it inside and we all sat in our dining room on the dining room floor and I put the the frog in the middle of the floor with us and I said, hey you guys, and I began to teach them about caring for creation, caring for what God created and and how it's our job to to kind of protect things and love on things. And as I was teaching this lesson on caring for creation, the little guy started halfway and I said, no, 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 no. And I put my hand down. I flattened that frog in an instant. It was done. Just flatten that thing. And in that moment, as my kids are very confused based on the, the, the lesson, um, I found myself going, Lord, can these bones live? Can you raise up? Can you breathe life on these dead bones? And uh, there was no good lesson on caring for creation that day. There became, it became a family story, but that frog was flattened. It was over. And all I could do is throw the little guy in the garbage. Lesson learned Kevin, right? And so today, um, we are going to uh, look at the story of a vision that God gave the prophet Ezekiel. And it was the vision of a valley of dry bones, human bones. Uh, and in the book of Ezekiel, we, we will read about this vision. And the question that God posed to Ezekiel as Ezekiel was looking through this valley full of dry bones is, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live? These weren't fresh corpses like Kermit Jr. that I had. These bones were long dead. And so this morning, we're going to be asking, and I want you guys to ask yourself the question, can my metaphorical dry bones live? And maybe you have a situation in your life where you've been wondering, like, can these bones live? In other words, there's a situation that seems like it will never change for you. Maybe you feel hopeless in that area. Maybe you feel like you've been defeated. And, and you know, just to get real specific, maybe you're a parent and you love your kids to death, but being a parent has sucked, sucked so much of the joy 
out of your life. Uh, you feel like you're not the person that you used to be because you haven't gotten enough sleep. You haven't had enough time with the Lord. You haven't had enough time with your spouse. And you wonder if you'll ever feel the, that joy and freedom again. And my hint to you is, is that, yes, you will. You will. But you wonder, can these bones live? Maybe you're a person that has been experiencing sort of a dried up relationship with God. And you remember a time in your life where things were vibrant and you were excited about your relationship with God. You longed to be with him. You were ready to take on the world and to do anything for him. But lately, it has just felt more and more like your relationship and your connection with him has been a chore, that it's been difficult, that it's been hard to maintain. And you wonder, will I ever feel that vibrant, intimate connection again? Will these bones live? Maybe for you, it's a, it's a tough relationship with a parent or a sibling or a spouse. And, and the difficulty in this relationship has lasted not just a couple of weeks, but maybe months or even years. And it feels to you like you've been in a valley of dry bones in this relationship. Let me just give you one more. Maybe you felt like you've had a nagging physical issue something that you can't get out from underneath, or you've been fighting depression or anxiety, and it's been so long that you've been fighting this thing that you've just decided, this is just something I'm going to have to live with. Uh, There's no getting out from under this. There's no hope for a healing here. I'm just going to have to live with this. And so you might look at a valley in your life and see nothing but dry bones. And that was actually exactly the place that Israel was at in the book of Ezekiel. Israel at this time had, um, they had been in a long, long season of rebellion against God and rebellion in, in the worst sort of ways. They rebelled against him. They were disobedient to him. They were dishonoring to him. They'd begun to worship all kinds of pagan gods. Even their their priests were corrupt. Every king that they put on the throne was corrupt. And, and so not only were they worshiping false gods, but they the, this nation who was God's nation, God's chosen people, rather than, than sort of manifesting heaven and manifesting the kingdom of God on earth, instead they became corrupt. And there was no justice in the world because Israel had gone so far in their rebellion against God. And this wasn't just... Uh, something that was happening over uh, a couple of months or a couple of years. This literally had gone on for centuries, for centuries, church. And that is the scene uh, where we find Ezekiel. And because Israel had so long rebelled against God and said, we do not want anything to do with you, they found themselves in the worst position. And that is that God eventually said, you can have your way. I will let you go. And in that moment, when they walked out from underneath God's care and walked out from under his authority and his protection, they very quickly found themselves under attack from the Babylonian Empire. And this was a powerful, powerful, evil empire. And when I say that they were under attack, that's like completely underselling it. They were completely destroyed by the Babylonians, right? They, the Babylonians came in to Israel. They and they took the people captive. They uh, entered into Jerusalem, and eventually they would destroy the temple, and they would send tens of thousands of Israelites out uh, of the land and into captivity in Babylon. In other words, they were no longer a nation. They had lost everything, and maybe the thing that they lost more than anything else was hope. And in that desperate place, they began to wonder, is God still there, right? Are we still God's special people? Is there still a calling on our lives. And they might have even wondered, is God 
our God bigger and more powerful than these gods of the Babylonians. And they just looked at the devastation of their lives and they wondered, is there any hope for us at all? And maybe we have felt the same way from time to time or in some area of our lives because you guys know, I don't have to tell you that you live in a very broken world. You live in a very difficult world, and not only is it tough out there, but it can be tough in here. Sometimes we're broken on the inside. Sometimes we have things that we are working on that we have to deal with. And so in the midst of all of that, the question is, but where is God? What is God doing? What is he doing in all of this? And today, um, I just want you to know, I have nothing but good news for you. Nothing but good news at all. Today, what I, what I hope to show you is that God will enter and does enter into our places of devastation. He enters into our places of decay specifically to bring us hope. As a matter of fact, do you guys know that the Bible actually calls God the God of hope? Are you aware of that? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this in, in uh, Romans 15. He said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy in peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I bet that most of us didn't really get that to sink into our hearts. I'm going to read it again. And I would just encourage you guys to close your eyes as I read this for a moment to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in our obituaries, if you've ever read an obituary, um, they, be, they start obituaries by listing what is the most essential thing about that person. And so, so-and-so passed away, and they are husband to this person, X, Y, and Z. They are father to, you know, and then they list the children, right? They are, this is who they are. This is the sort of the essential thing, Right? And what Paul is saying is that, or they're, they're husband of and, and children of, or, you know, father of. And, and what, what Paul was saying is that the, one of the most essential things about the, the person of God and the character of God is that he is the God of hope. And today we're going to come into contact with that hope. And so this morning, what I hope will happen is that you will see how amazing and powerful God is, even when it looks like there's no hope for your situation, because in every circumstance, if God remains, then hope remains. And so to do that, we're going to jump into the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was this priest uh, of God. He was a young guy. He was only 30 years old. And he was one of those folks that was taken into captivity and dragged off to Babylon as a slave. And, uh, and so we're going to just jump right into this story, this vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. So here we go. Let's dive in. And so it says this, the hand of the Lord was on me. This is Ezekiel. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. And he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? 
And they said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared in them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel, and then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When you open your graves, when I open up your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Yeah. That is a powerful thing. That is a vivid picture, right? Ezekiel prophesies over these bones, and there's this rattling sound. They come together before his eyes, and then tendons and flesh and skin surround them, and then he breathes life into them, and they become this incredible army, right? This is incredible, and everybody loves this story because it's so sensational, right? I am certain that J.R.R. Tolkien drew directly from this story for uh, one of the, the stories in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This has been, you know, the fodder for movies and, of course, a million Sunday school uh, lessons, right? So this thing is famous. It's all over the place, but what makes this story so amazing, you guys, isn't how wild and sensational is what makes this so amazing is how miraculously hopeful it is to us because the God who called Ezekiel to speak over that valley of dry bones and to speak life of those bones in Babylon is the same God who will speak life into our own valleys of dry bones today. Now, I want to talk to you guys about the bones for just a second, right? So towards the end of this whole oracle, uh, we hear the words of the lamenting Israelites as they're deported, right? And they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are cut off. It is over for them. The ship has sunk, right? The plane has crashed in the mountain. The ice cream cone is melting on the sidewalk. The frog is flattened. It is all over, right? And when people in scripture, when they talk about their bones, what they're talking about is what is most essential about them. It's about their, it's about their deepest, most essential parts. And so there's a, there's a group of Psalms uh, called the lament Psalms and they are lamenting. They're depressing. They're crying out. Uh, and, and so in several of those lament Psalms, you'll hear, uh, Uh, the psalmist talking about bones. And so in Psalm chapter 31, we hear the psalmist say, my strength fails because of my misery. My bones waste away. And again, in chapter six, my bones are shaking with terror. And in chapter 102, my bones burn like a furnace. 
And so the picture of bones is really the picture of what is the essential part of us. And so when God showed Ezekiel this valley of dry bones, and when the Israelites would hear this prophetic message, what they would say is, in their minds, they would go, those bones are us. That is a picture of our lives. We are those, those dead and dry bones. But of course, God had a plan for their restoration, and in spite of all of their rebellion, he had not forgotten them. Why? Because of, because of his heart for him, for them, because he is always faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful to us, and his plan has always been life, and life abundant. And so though they were in captivity to a powerful empire, though their leadership was corrupt, uh, though the temple would eventually be torn down, God had a plan to restore hope to Israel. And I, I, I love this conversation that God had with Israel because he shows, uh, I mean, with, uh, with Ezekiel, uh, I actually, as I was working on my sermon, I kept saying Ezekiel for Israel. You're just going to have to put up with that. But anyway, so God has this conversation with Ezekiel and he says, hey, Zeke, can these bones live, right? And he looks at this valley of dry bones and you guys know what Ezekiel was thinking, right? He was like, no way. No, these bones are as dead as they get. They are not coming back to life. But of course, he doesn't say that to God. He says, only you know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I don't have enough faith to say yes. I'm just going to say, only you know if these bones can live. But I think they are very, very dead. And we may feel the same way about areas in our lives. And I, as I've been working on this, I have been, um, I've been examining my own hope the state of hope in my own life. And I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this to you guys, but what I've discovered is that I often look for evidence of hope before I will ever allow myself to hope. I often look for something that I can rally around before I will ever allow myself to feel anything like hope. Does that resonate with any of you guys? So will this relationship ever, ever recover? Well, are they willing to go to counseling? Will I pass the test? Well, how much did they study? Will I get a promotion? Well, does your boss like you? Will the Bears be any good this season? No. <laughs> They're horrible. No hope. Right? I need evidence of hope. But what does that say about my hope? Right? Paul writes this. He said, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he can already see? Right? And what I want to say to you guys is this. What Paul is saying to us is that hope that is in some is no hope at all. All that is is probability and statistics. And so let me ask you guys a question about your thinking. I want you to think about your thinking for a second. And what I want to ask you is this. What does your current level of hope about your valley of dry bones say about what you believe. What is your current level of hope specifically about your own valley of dry bones? What does that say about what you really believe? What does your current level of hope say about um, where your hope really is? And what does it say about what you really believe about God and about his character and about his presence and his nature, about what he will do? What does your current level of hope about your own valley of dry bones say about what you really believe? Is the mailing address of your hope 777 Heaven Street Care of God the Father? Or is the location of your hope resting on some tiny piece of something in the natural that you hope will come through? 
Is that where your hope resides, right? God invites us, you guys, to a much better hope, a hope that can speak to our own valleys of dry bones and say, live, rise up and live. That's the hope that God has for us. And how can this happen? Again, it all depends on the location of where we put our hope. The address of our hope uh, isn't in where our the place where we put our hope ought not to be how much money we have in our retirement account, what the doctors tell us, our past track record, our spouse's willingness to change if we get a new boss or any of those things. Our hope resides in the person and the love and the power of Jesus alone. That is it. And in that, we have great hope. And one of the things that I love is that in our bones, you know, our deepest place, in our, in our bones, in our, the, the essential part of us, we are a but God people. We are a but God people. And what I mean by that is just that no matter what happens, God is bigger than, right? And so in the Gospel of John, Jesus said this. He said, I have told you these things. So that in me, that's key, so that in me, you may have peace. I wish that it said hope, but it says peace, so we're just going to go with that, right? I have told you these things, so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, because with God, all things are possible. And so how do we gain access to this? How do we find this hope in our own valleys of dry bones? Well, that brings us to the key to all of this. We're going to talk about what is completely important to this whole thing. All right, This is the most important part of, of the story. It's the most important part of my sermon. <clears throat> so the question is, how can we gain access to this hope? Well, we find this in verse 9. Now listen to this. Ezekiel writes this. Then he said to me, God, he said this, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breath can you guys say breath breath come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live and so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and they stood up on their feet a vast army god said speak to the breath well what is the breath well in the hebrew This word breath, it's ruach, okay, ruach, and it means wind, it means breath, it means spirit, the Greek word for it is pneuma, and both both of those words, pneuma and ruach, they are commonly and most oftenly referring to the Holy Spirit. And so the first time that we see this word ruach in scripture, it's actually in the very, very beginning of scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, the spirit of God, and that is the ruach Elohim was hovering. It actually says brooding. It was brooding over the waters. And a couple chapters later in chapter six, it's the ruach is translated the breath of life. And altogether, you guys, we see this word ruach more than 400 times or almost 400 times, I should say, in the Old Testament. And of course, many more times uh, as Numa in the, in the New Testament, right? And in just these couple of verses that we read, we see this word ruach, this breath, seven times in just a few verses, right? And what, what, uh, what Ezekiel was saying is, is you don't just need flesh and 
skin and, and tendons and things like that. We need the breath of God, the spirit of God. And so he says in verse 6, I will put breath, ruach, into you and you shall live. In verse 8, then in a vision, sinew, flesh, and skin cover the bones, but there is no ruach, no breath in them. In verse 9, O Ruach, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. And finally, in verse 10, it says, Then in the, uh, the breath, the Ruach came into them and they lived. And then finally, as Ezekiel sort of sums this whole thing up, sums up the whole vision, he says this, God says, I will put my Ruach, my spirit in you, and you shall live. And so why does Ezekiel repeat the need for the breath or the spirit over and over again? Because only God's spirit can create life. And with God's spirit, all things are possible for you. With God's spirit, we can gain access to abundant life. But without his spirit, without the breath, we are nothing but dry bones. And our valleys of dry bones will stay exactly that way. And I want you to think about your life again. I want you to think about all, just sort of all of your living, all of who you are, all of your coming and going and your work and your relationships and everything that, it, who, everything that is who you are and everything that you do. And I want to ask you, what is really alive in there? Where is the spirit of God breathing in your life and where is he not? Because some of your life is really lifeless. There are parts of your life that have no life at all. And the parts of your life that is lifeless, those are obvious usually. Those dry bones, right? You may know what it is. It may look like an addiction. It may look like an area of bitterness. It may look like unrepented sin. It may look like chronic sickness, right? You know your own valleys of dry bones. But some of our lifelessness looks alive. It has flesh. It has tendons. It has skin, but it has no breath in it, no spirit. You may look at your life and you may think about it. You may think about how you spend your time, what you put your hope in, what you pursue, and you may discover that there are areas in your life where there's no breath there. There's no life. There's no spirit there. God isn't in it. You may be looking um, for life that only the spirit can give through a human relationship. You may be looking for the spirit through your nice house or through shopping or eating or exercising and all of those things can give you a temporary fix but the peace and hope that you really long for you can't find it there that that will only bring a momentary or fleeting distraction and the hope when that hope and peace runs out you're going to need more of it in that moment but when we step back and when we let God breathe and when we let God speak we may discover that there are bones in our life that we didn't even know about there's no ruach there's no breath there and so I want to ask you and I want you to ask yourself what am I doing that just passes time and distracts me from from Jesus distracts me from real life and then ask God God where is your breath where are you breathing what are you doing in my in your in my life right now what are you stirring up what are you calling me to right now because he is inviting you to a deeper experience of him um, I read something uh, last week, and it was it was actually uh, an author who was talking about um, uh, he was talking about our attention spans. But I felt like it was so fitting for how we encounter Jesus. And um, and and what I want to say about what he said, I'm kind of misquoting him, but I'm going to just kind of twist it a bit. And what I want to say to you guys is that there was a time for a long time. 
in, in Christianity where we saw God as, as like the depths of the ocean and we were like scuba divers who would dive deep in him to experience the depths of who God is. But today, we have become more like jet skiers that just skid along the surface of who God really is. And I feel like God is actually calling us away from those dry bones of our lives and he's calling us to re-engage and to become a people that will dive deeply into the depths of who God is because whatever it is that God did there in Babylon, in that valley of dry bones, he will do it here. I want you to know that whatever it is that he did then, He will do now, if you can believe it, what he did with those dry bones, he can do with our broken hearts, and he can do it with our kids, and he can do it with our addictions and our sin. Do you guys believe that? You with me on this? But we may have forgotten how to access that life, and so I wanted to challenge you again to look for the true address of where you've put your hope. Where have you put your hope? And then, again, I want to also invite you to do what Ezekiel did and what God challenged him to do, and that is to prophesy to those bones. Prophesy to the dry bones in your life. Ask the Ruach, the breath, the Holy Spirit to breathe on the dry bones of your life. Stop living with dryness. Stop living in a place of death. Stop living in hopelessness, church. Instead, speak to your dry bones and say, live. Holy Spirit, breathe life on these things. Make these bones live. Maybe you've experienced loss or disappointment or discouragement, but in those places of loss and disappointment and discouragement, you can experience newness of life and resurrection there. And I want to challenge you not to stop until you feel hope rising in that place for you. Don't rest until your mind is renewed, your thinking is changed, that it's in line with God's character and his heart and his plans and his promises for you. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of the Most High King. You are a son or a daughter of the one who raises all, uh, raises us from the dead and makes all things new. And I love how Paul wrote this in Romans 4.17. He said, the God who gives life to the dead and calls, he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That is our God. That is the one that loves you. That is the one who saved you, who called you, and who is with you. That is our God and Father. Um, I'm going to share a bit of my testimony as we wrap up. And I have actually never shared this from the pulpit. I've never shared this part of my story, but I'm going to share it with you guys. And that is that um, when I was a young man, uh, late into high school and all through college, I, um, I had, I was what I call like a serial dater in that I always, always had a girlfriend and I, always had a long-term girlfriend, and um, and I had already given, I had given my life to Christ as an 18-year-old or 19-year-old in the army, uh, and so when I was in college, I was a Christian, but I always had a girlfriend, and my relationships with them were always messed up, and they always included sex outside of marriage, and that messed me up. That grieved my heart. It put a pall over my life. And so in spite of the fact that I tried to walk with the Lord, I always had this thing going on that was just no good for me and it was no good for them. And so it really, really messed me up. But in my heart of hearts, I really wanted to be married. I wanted to have a long-term relationship. And all 
all of my relationships with these women lasted, you know, over a year or two years or something like that, and then they would blow up because they were a mess to start. Um, and so by the time uh, college was wrapping up, I, I was like, um, I was in two places. One, I felt like if I don't get married by the end of college, I may never get married. And I really want, really wanted to be married. And at the same time, I knew that I was like really, really depressed and I was miserable. And so, um, as I was wrapping up college, I had been dating this, this woman for a while and I actually asked her to marry me because I just thought that I just, I got to get married and this is the time and you know, that's what you do. But I was so miserable in this relationship that I actually kept on pushing our wedding date back and, and it, obviously it wasn't Molly. And so, uh, uh, and so it was just a mess. And one day I was sitting in my apartment, um, and, and actually God got this woman and I separated. He, we ended up breaking up because of a complete miracle that I don't have time to tell you, but someday I will tell you this story and it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. But anyway, the Lord miraculously got us out from away from each other. And, and I started to just reflect. And I remember I was sitting in my apartment, sitting on the couch. And I remember the Lord speaking to me, buddy, you are in no shape to be uh, dating somebody. And I, I remember thinking, you're right, God. I am no good for women, and women are no good for me. And in that moment, I resolved myself that I was going to stop dating altogether, and I was only going to focus on the Lord. And that's when I began graduate school. And so I started going to graduate school, and I went through all of graduate school basically not dating at all. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, is I, it, from the moment I started this, this dedication to the Lord, I stopped dating altogether. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't even consider it. And so as graduate school was going by, I was getting closer and closer to the end and I began to get scared again because I wanted to be married, but I wasn't dating anybody. I had nothing, no prospects, no, you know, and I, and I really thought if I get out of college and I don't have somebody I will never, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how I'll ever get married. It was before internet dating, right? And so as I looked at my life, I saw two valleys of dry bones. I looked at the devastation of what I had done in relationships before that, and it was nothing but junk. It was a valley of dry bones. I had, I had messed people up, and people had messed me up. And then as I was graduating uh, from graduate school, I, I remember going, I guess I'm not going to get married. I really want this, but I don't know how it's going to happen. And I was in my very, very last class of graduate school in this little class with 15 people in a circle. And I looked across the room and there was this cross country runner named Molly Velada sitting there. And you guys know how that went down, right? And so I share all of that to say this. At the end of this oracle, at the end of this message, God makes this statement. And he repeats himself a second time so that nobody misses it. And he says this, then, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open up your graves and I bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it declares the Lord. And he was saying that though your valley is full of dry bones, I will breathe life and there will come a time when you will see resurrection in that place and you will know that I have done it. And it could be that the place of our valley of dry bones will become the place of our greatest testimony, the testimony of God's faithfulness and his overcoming power.
And I, I never thought that I would end up with somebody as amazing as Molly is. All I saw were dry bones in my own life, but God said, he said, Kevin, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to place you in your own land right here with you guys. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Why don't we stand up? I'm going to pray a benediction over you. We don't do many benedictions, but I want to pray this over you. And then Molly is going to lead us in a little bit of ministry. Close your eyes and receive this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Ruach the Holy Spirit may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and so Lord um, I pray for hope and for breath and for life to be poured into our valleys of dry bones because you are the God of hope because you are unchanging because Holy Spirit you animate you make all things new you bring life out of death and so I just say Holy Spirit come and breathe life right now on every one of us. We welcome you, Spirit. We welcome you, breath. 